and welcome to Tabletop Game Talk on Topic, a show where we talk about tabletop gaming topics of all kinds. I'm one of your hosts, Fletcher. I'm Kitty. And I'm Chris. Today we're talking about game mechanics, or mechanisms, whatever term you prefer. When you've been talking about games for as long as we have, it's easy to start assuming that gaming jargon is all understood. But from time to time, you guys remind us that's not the case. So in this episode, we're going to fix that. This is a kind of companion episode to our episode 76, Gaming Vocabulary. So if you want to hear even more definitions, then you can listen to that one too. But first, as always, a thank you to our Patreon friends of the show, Adam Harrison and the SGC, and a huge thank you to all of our other patrons as well. Fletcher, how was your weekend? My weekend was good. It was going to the container store and buying a bunch of organizing stuff. Nice. (laughs) Also known as containers? Yeah. Well, also a closet. (laughs) We're having uh, um, Carmen's really, really good friend from back home stay with us for probably a little while because she just got a job here um and we are like redoing the room i'm in right now which you guys can see which is <laughs> guest oh, bedroom the bed is always covered in stuff <laughs> yeah um the guest bedroom slash office and we've moved out like a bunch of stuff to give her like closet space and everything and we're just like taking a bunch of stuff out um and then we we have a, like a small coat closet that is literally just like it's a terrible coat closet because of like how it's designed and everything so we're gonna like rip all that out and like put in a new coat closet from the container store that should have a lot more organization stuff in it anyway i'm sure that's super boring for everybody else listening but i love this kind of stuff a lot of containers (laughs) and a lot of money it is amazing how much organization stuff costs oh yeah and yeah i have we've done an episode on organizing games i think Yes. We have. We, we've definitely done something on gaming furniture. I think I want to do a recap episode on gaming tables because I've had some experiences with gaming tables now and we need some talking about that. But that'll be a future episode. That is not this episode. Um, Kitty and I played Vampire this weekend. That was we fun. Did. It was fun. Um, let's see. We This is our second session. Sydney and Bunny have just recently turned into vampires. And then the three of rest of us have been vampires for a while. And I'm, I'm still wondering when the two groups are going to meet up. Because so far, it's been split the party from the beginning of the campaign. I mean, at least we have them together now. Because at first, it was like three distinct groups. It was Bunny, it was Sydney, and then it was the rest of us. And now at least we have Bunny and Sydney and the rest of us. But um, player three was a bit uncooperative this weekend. <laughs> and also, I think... Um, we spent quite a bit of time researching things that Spencer was not expecting us to spend that much time researching, but we did it really effectively. Yeah, I had one of those really fun roles where you look down and you're like, oh, that's that's all successes. And those are always just like, I'm going to keep playing forever now. <laughs> yeah. So for those who don't know, Vampire the Masquerade, um, it's in its fifth edition. So it's I think it released last Gen Con was the... Um, re-release of Vampire, and the system was sort of based 2018. So not this recent one, but the one before, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but the system's based on d10s, where you want to roll sixes and higher. And if you roll ten and you roll two tens, it's double success. There's some complications in there, but um, but yeah. So really, it's just your vampires, and you go around and you eat people and deal with political stuff. Yep, that's that's how the masquerade works. So we're having fun though. Um. Sydney, I think she wins the role-playing role award, for sure. 
She's been put in some really good situations, though. She's had a lot of, like, (laughs) one-on-one interaction because, you know, she was on her own. (laughs) I'm really excited to, because I think it'll be easier once we get her in the rest of the party to have more of those moments as a party. But she's she's doing great. I was like, I don't know if she's going to like the horror aspect of this, but she's like, yes, I do. (laughs) (laughs) I am all in. So we'll give you periodic updates of our vampire campaign, which happens about maybe once a month because gaming with kids mm-hmm. but we're going to figure out how to, how to make this work is probably going to involve involve slumber parties so we'll do that but because vampires are exciting we're going to switch over to definitions <laughs> vampires vocabulary still exciting right this is all this is the monster uh definition so we're going to start with vampires move on to werewolves and zombies <laughs> All right. Yeah, we have, I think I counted 47 mechanisms or mechanics. I use that term interchangeably. I am not a snob. I don't care. They're mechanics to me. I'll say mechanisms if people really get annoyed by it, but whatever. Um, But yeah, we have 47 of them. Complications. (laughs) (laughs) Um, A lot of these I grabbed off of BoardGameGeek because I learned how to do an advanced search. So if you click on the search, you click on advanced search, you go to the bottom, you can click on... Um, sort by mechanic. I think they call it mechanics there. Um, and you can click on, I want games with these mechanics or I want games without them. So there's a few that we're going to touch on that I put on here specifically because we avoid those things. So knowing that the game includes it is a good indication. But I think that's interesting because you can kind of do a really cool search like, oh, I really like area control auction games with no drafting. And you check those boxes and it gives you a whole list of games that have those things. So thanks, Board Game Geek. <laughs> um, so, so we should jump right into this because there's a lot of them. And Fletcher, you're going to start with the first one. These are also alphabetical, which is not the best way to sort these, but it's the way that they were <laughs> sorted. <laughs> okay, so A is for action points. <laughs> uh, and what's written here is two or more actions can be taken in a term an example is pandemic this is pretty i would say like this is pretty common trope among lots of games yeah now i will say oftentimes like pandemic is a really good example in pandemic you get four actions and from a mechanical point of view, those are action points. You can spend your action points on four different things. You can do the same thing multiple times. Um, oftentimes, you won't hear action points referred to that way unless you have actions that can take more than one action point. So you have some actions that take one, some actions that take two or more. And then you definitely, it's like, here's how many action points you have, and here's the cost of each action to take. Um, but I, th- as far as I'm concerned, multiple actions on a turn is considered, you know, you're using action points. All right. This next one is unrelated, but similar in name, Kitty. Action selection. Your turn consists of choosing one action from a variety of actions, like in Scythe. So usually you have a player board. I associate that with this at least. And you have usually around four or five choices of I'm going to build this turn. I'm going to reap. I'm going to attack, something like that. And you can only do one per turn. So you have to select your action. Yep. Sometimes you have follow-ons. So I might select an action and you will get to do something. Um, often my selection is going to be more than yours. Uh, the Tiny Epic Galaxies has an action selection system like that, where I choose an action. Well, 
that's a little different. It's sort of like that. I choose an action and it can follow. <laughs> There's some more mechanisms that when you combine them all together, form games. So no one game tends to be focused on a single mechanism. That'd be pretty um, boring. It would be. Um, There's a couple that will be, and we'll get to them. But, uh, but yeah, so action selection... And sometimes, you know, it might be uh, exclusive. So you can't choose the same action that you chose last time, such as in Scythe. Sometimes it doesn't matter. Just each turn, you can choose an action. Uh, but you only get one of them. And so that would be your action selection games. The next two are somewhat related, but distinct enough where I've separated them. So area control. This is only one player can occupy a specific area on the map at a time. So the game centers around controlling areas. Uh, the classic example would be Risk. And when we're giving game examples, I'm trying to give a game examples that many people have played or know about because, you know, this should be a general... If you're not, if you haven't played a lot of games, this, this show should still make sense. Um, but Risk, I think, is your quintessential area control game. You can't have multiple people in a, in a place and you want to control everything and that's how you get more powerful and that's how you win is just taking over everything. The next one, Fletcher, is uh, area majority influence. So more than one player can occupy an area. The player with the most units has control. Um, I actually can't think of a... Personally, I can't think of a game that does this, but I'm sure you guys have something that comes into mind. I can think of a couple but a kitty do you, i'm trying to think of something that's a little bit more common i mean blood rage um no because blood Not rage really yeah it's when more, you fight that yeah. that's area control yeah um actually no 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 you are absolutely right blood rage is area majority because only when you initiate a fight do you actually end up fighting yeah it's and only when, when you, you pillage Yep. So when you're at the end of round scoring for Blood Rage, you are essentially looking for, do you have the majority in an area? So I'm pretty sure, yeah, you can place units and you're not, and until you cause a fight, you you still have control of that particular space. So that's a good example. Um, it Area majority is one that tends to be more like wargamey, skirmishy type of things. Innis? Is that Innis? Innis? Inish would be one, and also, oh, Cool Mini or Not did a game that starts with an E. Everyone's yelling at me. It had really bad artwork, but it's a really, really good game. I knew it till you started talking. All right, well, now I need to look. But that's another area majority game where, you know, whoever has the most basically little chips in their stack wins. And... Yeah, like so this is a little light lighter than area control. It tends to be less conflict than area control. And the game I am thinking of is Ethnos. Ethnos is ah, probably one Ethnos, of the yes, yes, yes. Yeah, it's probably it's quintessential area control or area major or area majority slash influence. <laughs> but I'm un- it's not a hugely common game, but everyone should play that game because it is just really, really good. I like it. All right. Next hey. one we have we have auction slash bidding. Players compete by bidding for something, bidding something for something else, like in Power Grid. My I'm favorite put down, like, mechanic. Monopoly. Uh, well, Monopoly would count here if, if people, played, people by played it by those rules. <laughs> 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 but since nobody uses the auction mechanic in Monopoly, it doesn't count. Uh, Power Grid is a good example. You do a lot of bidding to get your different. Uh, resources or different cards that 
make your power plants and stuff. I think that's probably the most common one, but really anything, I mean, if you were talking bidding, you could also, I guess, throw poker in there, but that's sort of not what auctions, it's not the auction bidding mechanic. So this just really is, hey, I have gold. I want that. It could be a blind auction. So everyone's going to bid, you know, a certain amount of coins in their hand and open and whoever has the most gets it uh, with some tiebreaker. Or it could be, you know, just keeps going around in a circle. And when everyone stops bidding, it's done. Next one is this is a mechanism. It used to be a mechanism. Now it's like a category of games, but it's still a mechanism. And that's cooperative. So if a game is cooperative, obviously everyone is working together to win the game. And the best example of that, at least the probably the most common, is Pandemic. But each year it feels like there's as many cooperative games as competitive games coming out. Um, if I had to really guess, I would say the ratio is probably like 20, 20 to 25% of the games coming out now are cooperative. But that's just a, it might be a perception bias because <laughs> the ones that are popular are cooperative. Uh, but there's really not much, too much to say on this. There are takes on cooperative, and we'll talk about those. But yeah, this is everyone wins together, everyone loses together. And these are great introductory games, uh, especially for those who are a little intimidated about playing a game because, you know, they don't want to be the one that loses or, you know, they don't want to be the one that messes things up. If you're playing cooperatively, it's easy for you all to chip in and help the new person out. All right, Fletcher, this next one is yours. Do you know what this is before you read my definition? Um, no, but I have another example of this that I would like to give that I think might satisfy, but I don't, I don't actually know. So this is cube tower. X cubes go in, Y cubes come out, normally of different colors. Um, and the example that is here is edge of darkness or mortals. So I don't think I've seen a game that's quite like this. The only thing I can think of that might be a little bit like this that I've played is terraforming Mars. Because there are some mechanics in terraforming Mars, in Mars, where you're literally like <laughs> converting like energy to heat, and they are turning cubes to different colors in different amounts. So, sort of, it's a great example, and it helps clarify my definition, which apparently does not do the cube tower any justice whatsoever. Um, and by sort of, I mean not at all. Kitty, you know what a cube <laughs> tower is. I have never actually seen one in person, but I know what it is. I've so heard you only- describe it many times <laughs> on this podcast. Yeah. So this one, there's only about five or six games that have ever used a cube tower. It's one of these new mechanisms that potentially could be used more and more, but right now is relatively limited. The way this works is it looks a lot like a dice tower. You drop dice in the top and all the dice roll out the bottom. But in a dice tower, all the dice are de- the tower's designed for all the dice to come out. In a cube tower, you drop wooden cubes or some kind of cubes or some kind of pieces. I guess it can be just about anything. But the tower is designed to catch some of them. So if I drop a handful of red and blue cubes through the tower, I drop 10 in, I'm only going to expect to get like five or six or seven out. Some of them are going to get stuck on the inside. So maybe I drop five red and five blue, three red two blue come out and say, okay, so red does something because it came out. But the next time I drop in three yellow and I could get red and blue cubes coming out because they were still stuck in the cube tower before. So what this does is it gives this kind of delayed randomness of what's going through the tower. And 
Edge of Darkness um, is a new game. It's kind of looks a lot like Mystic Veil vale in far as like it's a card crafting game. Actually, apparently that's our next definition: card crafting. <laughs> so, all right, we'll put that there. Um, but the way this works is when you fight, you're going to drop a certain number of different colored cubes in the tower, and the results of the fight are based on what comes out of the tower. Uh, Immortals is a game by Queen Games that does a very similar thing where you're dropping in your army and the pieces that come out are the pieces that survive. Whoever has the most are the ones that is the winning side. So you can do some interesting things with it. It has, it's been underused up until now, but if you ever have the, hear the term cube tower, that's what it is. Hmm. So not exactly converting cubes. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's like it's, an additional random kind of thing. So why would you use a cube tower as opposed to just like a dice with more die with more sides? Um, basically to get you get a different kind of randomness when you use a cube tower. So it, the, the give this is a good example from the Immortals. So I'm going to invade your territory. So Immortals is an area control game, and we now know what that means. So I'm going to move my army into your space, and I my army consists of five green cubes, and your army consists of three red cubes. We're going to drop all those cubes in a tower. Whichever color comes out as the majority is the one that's going to win. So if you three, all three of your red cubes out and only two of my green cubes come out, you've won. My green cubes get destroyed. Now, sometimes there, I already had a couple green cubes in the tower. So, or you maybe you had red cubes in the tower. So you drop your three red cubes in and five red cubes come out. My and I only get three green cubes, so it gives you the ability to. It's just a weird way of kind of randomizing how how those numbers can come out, and you can kind of mm-hmm. calculate. It's like, all right, well, I have three cubes in the tower. I only have two. I'm going to drop in, but I could still win, so I'm going to give it a shot and see see what happens. Interesting. Like I say, it's hasn't been used a lot, but I and I don't know honestly. Your question maybe the reason it's not used a lot is because like, yeah, there's just a lot of easier ways to deal with randomizing than dropping cubes in a tower <laughs> <laughs> all right kitty our newest definition i mean i can say card crafting but you didn't actually write a definition here yet so <laughs> i know I'm, I'm quizzing you on the spot have you played a card crafting game so if this is what i think you're talking about i can only think of one really weird game that i played with this which is um called Renfair, where you are trying to create an outfit for your person to wear to Renfair, and you're, like, stacking these translucent cards on top of each other to make your outfit? So, yes. I'm gonna I'm going to let that go as a potential <laughs> card crafting game. Um, Gloom would also be a very similar thing to what you're describing, where you're stacking cards. And so... It's a kind of a fine line, though. So whether that's card crafting or tableau building, it could kind of go either way. Mystic Veil is the first game that kind of coined the term card crafting. And what it does is it puts those transparent cards in sleeves. And so when you get when you add a new piece to that, you put the new piece inside the sleeve. So the sleeve is actually the full card, but there might be three or four or five things in there that make the card complete with all this transparency. Um, again, it's a relatively uncommon thing because clear cards are. Not I think very Renfair definitely meets that 
definition because you're not because to me i mean i don't know if we get to tableau building later and i'm gonna (laughs) spoilers here but tableau building usually when you add something to your tableau it has an effect like an action whereas with Renfair and i would assume mystic veil is you are just creating a card yes it doesn't have like a specific action that goes like that gets added to your tableau i don't know yeah, well, I mean, like I said, it's this is one of those definitions where when you start saying it's card fuzzy. crafting, it's it's fuzzy. Um, I mean, it's very, very clear if you see Mystic Veil, you know what a card crafting is. But really, anything where you're layering transparent cards on top of each other, you're changing the effects of those cards. So it becomes kind of a card crafting type of thing. This next one is not as difficult to understand, although it's become more and more... Um, more and more elements are getting mixed into this. So this is deck building slash bag building slash pool building. It's really part of the game is to build up something, some source of tokens or cars that you're going to be drawing from. Uh, this was originally designed with, well, not originally designed, but introduced in Dominion for the deck building aspect of it. Dice Masters uh, introduced like a, I don't know if they introduced it, uh, they were definitely not the first one, but they were one that made it pretty popular. Um, bag building, where you're putting dice inside of uh, of a bag. But now you can put tokens in there. Um, I put pool building as kind of a, a catch-all type of thing. But anything where part of the game is to make this thing that you keep using different as the game goes on. I think this is one of the most easily confused terms in gaming, though. Because a lot of people who don't play... Um, deck building games, when they hear deck building, they think of collectible card games like right. Magic the Gathering or Pokemon, where you are building your deck outside of the game as like, that's the meta game, and then you go play it. Whereas deck building games, the deck is built while you play the game. There's usually a marketplace where you're buying cards or something similar. You have to get them into your discard pile first, usually, and then you are able to shuffle and draw them later yep you can so and it's tricky because i completely agree deck building could refer to multiple i was super confused about it for a long time (laughs) people just threw out this term and i was like i mean like pokemon (laughs) i don't know so like things like pokemon and magic i tended to refer to them as duck deck construction games now but that is I think just that's kind just of a you thing. retroactive. Well, and, it, <laughs> yeah. and it's retroactive, right? Because it's like, all right, if I say it's a, if I say magic is a deck building game, then it's very confusing. If I say magic is a game that you build a deck to play it with, it's a little less confusing, but not that less confusing when you're talking about you know just Dominion call them trading versus card magic. Games. You can, yep, you can do that too. And it's like, oh, this you is can a trading trade card individual game. cards if you wanted to, but that doesn't work in a deck building game. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that there is a deck building game where you're building a trading card game inside of it. <laughs> of course there is. <laughs> There's a game about everything. All right, next one, Fletcher. Drafting, either card or dice. Take turns picking a new card or die. Example is Seven Wonders. I don't actually think I've played a game like that. Really? Yeah. I'm All back right. to Blood Rage. <laughs> Blood Rage is a drafting game. Oh, that's mm-hmm. true. Yeah. You know, you're yeah. right. Oh, you play Sushi Go, don't you? Yeah, but that's different. Nope. No, it's, a drafting it's totally game a drafting for sure. game. Dra- drafting to me, like, um, Spoons. Spoons is a drafting game. <laughs> it is when you, 
You don't know spoons? Spoons. No, but go ahead. Spoons is like solitaire or BS. It's like one of the games everyone knows that. Um, in spoons, you have a regular deck of cards, and you one player is like the draw person, and they pick up a card, they look at it, they choose to keep it in their hand or pass it. And you're trying to get four of a kind. Whoever gets four of a kind first picks up a spoon, and there's one less spoon than person, like um, musical, musical chairs. chairs. Yeah. Okay. Then, yeah. Then I have... I think the dice kind of threw me off, but yeah, I guess I have played a, a bunch of games like this then. So dice drafting... Well, card drafting, Seven Wonders is probably the uh, most common hobby game, but this this drafting is used in pretty much everything. Um, yeah, Sushi Go is definitely a drafting game. You know, you have a, you have a set of cards, you're picking one, you're passing... Um, there's, there's so, so many of these. Now, dice drafting is just layered on top of this. And often what happens is you roll dice and then you're going to take one of those, one of the dice that are rolled and then continue on. Um, actually, even Azul is a drafting game. So Azul is you're picking tiles from a bag, putting them on little discs, and you're going to pick one of those discs. When it's your turn, you pick one. And so you're drafting tiles. So all of these games are essentially a drafting game. And you can hate draft. So there's the subterm of this. I'm not drafting to help me. I'm drafting to hurt you. So I know you need this. So I'm going to take it, even though I don't really need it type of thing. Um, but more or less, drafting games tend to be pretty fun because they're pretty interactive. And they can be simultaneous. So when you're playing Sushi Go, everyone's playing at the same time. And then you pass. Um, it's blood Rage during the drafting phase. Everyone's picking you and you're passing. spoons. <laughs> I know Spoons. Yeah, I've heard of it. There's lots of games that are similar to Spoons, too. I bet Sydney's right. going to listen to this and laugh at you. <laughs> I'll play Spoons. It sounds familiar, but to me, playing Spoons is putting two spoons together and then, you know, tapping it against your knee. Um, my <laughs> youth group really loves to play Extreme Spoons, and that is where they hide the spoons from each other. So you get four of a kind, and then you, like, get up and start running around like crazy. So, All right. They're extreme spoons. It's now a knife. Don't give them ideas. <laughs> All right. So the next one is engine building. And this is did I steal this from you? You did, but that's fine, because oh. that's that would have been the second one in a row that you gave me a term without defining it. So <laughs> you go ahead and I'll, take engine building. <laughs> I'll let you take the next one. So engine building is probably one of the more for me, it's one of my favorite mechanisms. So what an engine what happens with engine building is oftentimes linked with a tableau of some sort. Um, we'll get to a tableau in a little bit. But really what you're doing is as you play the game, you're building up a system where one thing triggers another thing, which triggers another thing. And the goal of an engine of a good solid engine builder is to have lots of things triggering whenever you do something. Scythe is a very direct engine builder so you're going to make things a little bit better um, which can start to sort of build an engine but you don't really get any kind of domino effect i think the best example of this i can think of like the easiest one and the most just blatant is gizmos from simon because this is literally you're building a rude ruth rude the the goldberg Goldberg? rube goldberg machine um and not terraforming mars not terraforming (laughs) mars (laughs) But you'll have like four or five different actions, I think, that you can do. And each card that you add will make a particular action better. But 
depending on how you got that card, it, the cards normally don't enhance themselves immediately. So, um, but yeah, you're just trying to create these huge engines and get these huge points. And it's, it's like, just like playing dominoes. It's, I like engine building games. All right, Kitty, you get this one. Hand management. Cards typically are played out of your hand and stay out until you choose to reset your hand and take all of your cards back. Example being Century Spice Road. So there's a lot of variations on hand management. Um, Can you guys think of any other games besides Century or any more common games that might have a hand management aspect? More common? No, but um, Gloomhaven. Gloomhaven is definitely a hand management. Yep. So really... The, the concept of a hand management game is your actions are in your hand. And what tends to happen is as you play cards out of your hand, they go away until something resets it. Or maybe they go away forever. Um, but you have to manage your hand correctly. Not, I mean, anything with a hand of cards, you could potentially call a hand management game. But as far as the mechanism's concerned, it's not really a hand management game unless that hand kind of dwindles over time. Could you call like a key forge hand management a little bit? So I would say no. And the reason for that is you're not necessarily getting those same cards back. If you start saying that uh, basically any dueling card game is hand management, it becomes too generic to describe anything. Because then you're saying anything where you're playing cards from your hand is hand management. I think the real key to this is there is some way Mm. to take all the cards you've played and put them back in your hand. Right. Or most of them or whatever. Or most of them. Right. You know, Gloomhaven, it's like you can do this, you get all of them except for one. Constantly. It's the same cards that you have from the beginning. Right. And that's another thing with hand management. You tend to have everything in your hand all at the beginning. I need to add another term to our list. Go ahead. Need like a rummy mechanic. All right. Well, we'll we'll put it down here. Go put and it down in the R's. Define it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So our next one, uh, Fletcher. Hidden movement. Some players do not know the location of other players in the game. And as an example, you put Specter Ops. But as an example, I would give is Scotland Yard. The game I think Scotland Yard talked about is probably past. a much better example. <laughs> Fury of Dracula is another one. Nuns on the Run is another one. These are games where there's usually one, it's almost always a one versus mini game as well, but it doesn't have to be. Um, Escape from Outer Space is everyone is hidden from everyone else. And it's just like the sounds you hear are how you know where people are and things like that. Uh, these are a lot of fun, can be pretty fun for party games. They also can be pretty painful if someone's like super analysis paralysising the game to try to determine exactly what happened and where and all that. All right, Kitty, you get this next one because it's your favorite kind of game. Hidden roles. Some players don't know the goals or ability of other players. Example, resistance. So Or? Or Battlestar Galactica. Is that well, what you're trying to get me to say? <laughs> I yep. love Battlestar Galactica. Such a good game. I don't love all hidden role games, but a lot of games I love happen to have hidden roles. Yeah, so you, there is a superset of these types of games that we will talk about in a little bit that you really don't like. I don't like at all. <laughs> but I really love games where you are using actual deduction. You have actual clues, facts that are giving you the ability to deduce who has this hidden role and how you can, you know, like protect yourself or 
how you can keep your role hidden based on yeah. just the the rest of the game mechanics. Those I love. Big yeah. fan of well, puzzly it, stuff. And in Battlestar, like Battlestar can still be a little bit, you know, try to figure out socially who's doing what, but because cards are being played, you can know whether or not someone likely is a traitor that, you know, just played some cards or whatever. So you can kind of start to deduce those types of things. All right, the next one, we've done an entire episode on this one. So we're just going to mention it briefly here. Um, but as legacy games, this is a game that changes as you play it. So each playthrough, the game is a little bit different. That is my definition of legacy. There are so many, we, I think we, we literally talked an hour on the difference between like legacy games and campaign games and, and whatnot. But most people will say, a legacy game is a game where each time you play it, the game has changed based on what you did last time. You do have possibility of resettable legacy or destructive legacy. Uh, the greatest example of this is Pandemic Legacy. I think it's, it is a fantastic legacy game. Even if you don't like Pandemic, Pandemic Legacy is crazy, crazy good. Rob Davio invented the term and the genre for the most part with Risk Legacy as the very first game in this series. And yeah, so... People have been using it ever since. I like them. All right, Fletcher, you know this one. Lose a turn. What is that supposed to mean? I know this one. <laughs> Everyone players, knows this one. Players can cause other players to lose a turn. They're not fun. They're bad games. Example, Uno. I actually don't think Uno is that terrible of a game. I was going to say, actually, you put out like the best lose a turn game. Yeah, I was going to say like Uno is actually pretty good game i, I put out uno be, it's, it's not bad yeah i put out uno just because it's the most common one i could think of that has this mechanic uh the reason why so this is listed on board game geek and the reason why it's listed there is because it is typically considered in a modern game to be a horrible game element yeah if you lose a turn and you're watching other people have fun that is painfully bad. The reason it works in Uno is because everyone's turn is approximately 10 seconds. If 10 that. seconds long. Yeah. 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 There's really very quick. little actual decision making going on in Uno. But that's yeah. part of its charm. Yeah. So skipping a turn on Uno, not that big a deal. Skipping a turn on, you know, a more heavy game where turns are taking like, even if it's only taking two or three minutes, if you have five players, four players, and each turn's taking three minutes... You're looking at almost 10 minutes before it's your turn again. And then your turn gets skipped. Now you've not played for 20 minutes. And that's not all that uncommon in like the older lose a turn type of games. So yeah, lose a turn is is not something that people really um, seek out. It's like, I can't wait to play a, a game that has lose a turn in it. That was just amazing. <laughs> Um, in fact, there are some modern games that have lose a turn cards in them. And typically what people will do is just take them out and rip them up and throw them away. It's like, it's a much better game if you just don't put this card in there. Uh, Kitty, you mentioned this one earlier. So I'm going to let you take this one too. All right. Since it's my turn anyway. Thank you. <laughs> Market. <laughs> this is a common set of something that players can buy from. Example, Dominion. I think of this very much being related to deck building or whatever building games there's usually a bunch of cards in the center that all the players have an opportunity to buy them to add them to their deck yep i think the biggest thing with markets are they're public everyone can access it yes uh if you look at uh oh what's the the dueling army game normandy undaunted the Norman 
Undaunted, yeah. That is a deck building game without a market. You have a private pool of cards that you can buy from. So deck building games don't always have markets, but they almost always have something that where you can buy cards and add to your deck. Um, but yeah, so markets are super common in all kinds of games. But anywhere where you have that common central place of things you can buy, Power Grid's another example of this. Um, that is a market. So when I was reading through this list before we started recording, I saw this one and I was like, oh, what is this market game? I'm like, Dominon. Never heard of that game. Must be interesting. (laughs) And then Kitty's like, Dominion. And I'm like, oh, okay. You should look sometime at the way Chris has typed out the Dice Tower news show notes for me to read them. Because this could be a, could totally be a game, Dominon, I've never heard of. <laughs> well, it's going to be one now. Yeah. Chris's, um, and my ability to read Chris's mistyped weird words is uncanny. I don't even notice I do it anymore. <laughs> one type, time he typed W-H-E-N as win. And I <laughs> just read it. To win the game. <laughs> it, yep. He types faster than he reads and it is just crazy <laughs> it's sometimes my mind just yeah I, I you're mean, I going go back too fast I, you think so fast that your hands can't keep up <laughs> if i go back and read it i know i'm using the wrong word obviously but you know sometimes my fingers use the word that they want to use all right <laughs> speaking of brains this next type is memory uh these are games where memory is a huge element of it now memory is a pretty good example of this type of thing. But this is often put inside of games in a way that's a little bit more abstracted or you don't realize it's there. The the things that... Um, games where there was public information on the board and then the card is flipped upside down and set aside. Everyone had a chance to look at that card. The card sitting by itself. It's not shuffled in with anything else. If the rules specifically say you're not allowed to look at that card, then it has a memory element to it. Those who can remember best will have an uh, advantage. Another one that's a little more subtle is say you have a stack of tokens. And so you've piled up five monster tokens. And you know what five monster tokens have gone into that stack. Well, as you're removing monster tokens, because those are your encounters, you're limiting the number of tokens in there. So if you had perfect memory, you would know what the last token is because you've looked at the first four, but you're not allowed to. So that is a memory element of a game. All games have, not all games, but most games have some kind of memory element. How strongly the memory element gives you an advantage or disadvantage, though, is, in my mind, what makes something a memory game or a not a memory game. And in a lot of cases, I'll just house rule that if it's something that you could remember, you can look at it. And it just makes life a whole lot easier. And you don't have to try to like remember it. I, I don't know. I don't like the game memory. So if I'm going to play a strategy <laughs> game, I don't want to have to remember like, oh, I looked at that and that and that. But now I don't remember what's behind that anymore because I forgot what that was. I so- immediately thought of herbalism, which I loved and no one else likes to play with me. <laughs> Is it a memory game? Yes, you played it with me. Um, Everyone has a hand of so many cards, and then you swap cards with people based on, like, the colors, and there's a different number of each color, and you're trying to figure out which two cards are missing. Yeah. So you have to remember what you've seen and what you're looking for, and 
I liked it. I liked it a lot. <laughs> I would say there's not a we don't have one for this, but I would say kind of tangential to this is like logic or puzzle games. And I would put like black box or mastermind in that kind of genre because it's not a memory game. It's more of no, like it's a open logic information, game. but yeah, you're just yeah. looking at it. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Yeah. Logic puzzle. Like I actually didn't put logic puzzle on this list, but it's a good place to put that. It's the opposite really of memory games though. Right. If you can logic it out or puzzle it out, it's, it's not a memory game. It's a figure it out game. That's why I like herbalism is because it's a logic, mu- uh, memory logic game. Combines those uh, two really obscure and ridiculous ones that I love. <laughs> yeah, I'm not good with the memory ones. All right, next one, Fletcher. Modular board. Board can change at the beginning of each game. Example, Catan. I think this is probably the most best known modular board. It's basically just random. And really, when you see the term modular board, it's almost always the setup. Um, for example, Carcassonne does not have a modular board. It has no board. As you play the game, you're going to build stuff out, but it's yep, not tile lane modular. Is. Yep. So, um, other than that... that looks like it's been... Oh, no, tile placement's on here. We'll get there. Yep. <laughs> yep. Um, but yeah, so that's a simple thing for modular modular board. It really is just a way of adding variability. And sometimes there's a way of adding... Um, you can make scenarios out of it. So your modular board will have different scenarios in the book. And you put the board together this way, and then this is your scenario. Another one of your favorite things, Kitty. Negotiation. <laughs> strong social element of convincing other players to help or hin- help you or hinder others. Cosmic encounters. The exact game I thought of when I'm like, man, I sure hate this one. <laughs> <laughs> Diplomacy is another one for those super classic that love it. Hate um, it. <laughs> Monopoly is a negotiation game, right? Yeah. At least the way mm-hmm. that most people play it, they play it as a negotiation game. Um, but yeah, negotiation games, you really have to like the social element. You have to be able to convince people that they should do what you want them to do just because, you know, it's in your best interest of both of you. So easy enough. Um, I think this is my, is it my turn again? It is your turn already. Yep. All right. Pick up and deliver. So this is basically the concept of you're picking up a resource from point A and delivering it to point B, and you're going to get something hopefully better out of it. Uh, Merchants of Venus is a good example of this. Uh, uh, Zaya is a good example of this. Really, any game where you're trying to optimize routes, uh, maybe you know, optimize the value of different resources, those types of things are is a pick up and deliver game. The I honestly haven't played a whole ton of them. I think Zaya is probably the one I've played the most of, and Zaya counts as a, a lot of different types of games. But uh, have you guys played any pick up and deliver games that you can think of? No. Not off the top of my head, no. Yeah, they they tend to be a little bit more sandboxy. They're not super, super common. But once you've played one and you hear pick up and deliver, you just automatically understand. You understand the concepts and how it was. All right, this next one's a pretty big negative for you, Flesh. I'm giving you all the negative ones. Yeah, yeah Fletch, you're I just all the happened bad to get them all. Thanks. <laughs> Player elimination. Players may have to sit and watch other players continue to play and have fun. <laughs> <laughs> example risk and monopoly and pretty much any board game made before 1995 or so yeah um unless it was like a sorry parcheesy trouble kind of game where it was like more of a race the first one wins those were like yeah, the only was, two kinds of games though 
Yeah, race games and elimination games. Last one standing or first one to get someplace. Um, mm-hmm. Player elimination is another one that has been falling out of favor fast. Zombicide actually has player elimination in it, and it's one of the more really? popular modern board games. Mm-hmm. However, Zombicide Second Edition has removed player elimination. So now in Second Edition, if you if a player dies, everyone loses the game immediately. So you don't have to sit there and watch other people play. Everyone's lost, which increases the co-op ver- co-op nature of it. Um, but it also leaves you from because Zombie said you can die in the first turn and literally watch people play for an hour and a half. So player elimination games, especially if that the game can continue much longer after the elimination, tend to be frowned upon. Uh, Are you a werewolf? Has player elimination in the most egregious form. So. If you're playing this at a convention, you will get eliminated. And instead of sitting around and watch the game, you just go and join a different game because that game's going to keep going for, you know, two hours before the end of it's going to hit. So player elimination, again, frowned upon. Kitty, your turn. Uh-huh. Programmed movement slash programming. You plan your hurt, your turn. I'm losing it. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> plan your turn ahead of time and watch it play out later. Examples are Robo Rally or Mechs versus Minions. Also, Killer Bunnies is a good example of this too. That sounds you know, fun. It, I don't know that one. It's it's not. It it's a terrible <laughs> game. <laughs> Some people really really like it though. So if you really really like it, um, you're playing a programming game. Uh, have you guys? You guys have had to have played programming games. No. I've played a few. I backed some on Kickstarter though, so I don't know how popular they are um, in the greater world, but. Um, Welterweights is a boxing programming game um, that I've played. And um, Bad Maps, where you are pirates and the captain gives you directions. You have to follow the directions. and But um, your opposing team gets to black out some of your directions. So that's kind of fun. Fletcher, you would, said you haven't played any of these? I don't think so, unless you would consider like the turn phase in Gloomhaven kind of like pseudo-programming a little bit. No, that's actually more of an action selection. It's a hand management action selection. But once you've actually revealed your cards, you can change what you do based on what yeah, yeah. has changed it when it comes order. to your turn. Yeah. yeah. If it was simultaneously where you're choosing your action and what your character is going to do, and then you all revealed and played those actions out, that would be more of a programming game. Um, Killer Bunnies, you're choosing two cards and you always have one card that's about to play and then one card that's a turn behind. So you're playing cards two turns ahead and you can't do anything about it, no matter what that card is going to trigger. So that's really kind of like the quintessential programming game mechanic. And Robo Rally is a great game as well. All right, so push your luck. This is a risk risk everything on a higher reward or stop and take what you have now type of game. Um, Can't Stop is a good example of this. Uh, Mystic Veil, we talked about it earlier, is a good example. Uh, Mystic Veil, it's a card building game. Now we know what that is. But one of the elements that shows up on the card are these little red dots. And you can keep flipping cards over. Flip City, I think, does the same thing as this. But you can keep flipping cards over until you have, I think it's three dots that show up. If you see three red dots, then you bust and you throw everything away. But you can stop after two red dots. And now you're kind of pushing your luck. Well, I, I kind of want to get another whatever currency so I can flip that next card. But at any point, I could just lose everything. Um, Blackjack is a push your luck game, right? So you hit, hit, hit. Uh, I want to get as close as I can until I bust. 
Um, so that's push your luck. And they're, they're kind of neat. They're a lot of, I mean, it's in the name. They're very lucky games. All right. This one's yours, Kitty, because you made me add it. <laughs> um, so a rummy mechanic, I just decided is a thing. This is more like, it comes to mind when you think of hand management. This is always what confuses me with hand management. It's So this is more like draw one, discard one, where you're trying to maximize the points you have in your hand by building the hand and then laying it down at some point. So fantasy realms, and, I want to yeah, say. And you're laying your entire hand down. Yeah. And then scoring points based on that. So you're trying to maximize the points you can score in your hand and laying down your whole hand at once at the end of the game. Yeah. yeah it's almost like a hand building. Yeah. Kind of like, like poker. Yeah. Kind of like poker, like traditional five card draw poker. Yeah, like five card draw poker. Like you discard a certain amount of cards, you get more, you're trying to maximize the amount of yeah. points, how good your hand is. Yeah. Yeah. The only difference with poker is poker is a one turn hand building type of thing right. where most of your other rummy style games you have many turns you're going through and you're trying to be the first to get to someplace speaking of first and first to get to someplace fletcher race first person to the goal wins <laughs> and this, one, this is the keyboard. worst example <laughs> such a bad like, example of a race game there's so many this- other ones I had to put this out there someplace because I'm like, ah, this is Keyforge. Because people think that Keyforge is a battle game, and it's not. It's a it's race not. game. You're trying yeah. to be the first to get to something. Um, but other examples of race games would be, I don't know, <laughs> anything. Um, Milborn. Yeah. Um, Flam Rouge. Is that how you say that? Flam Rouge. <laughs> yep. Any of the actual race games? Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, but I mean that concept of a race game is pretty simple. You just you're trying to be the first one there, mm-hmm. and. Almost anything can be a race game, even if it doesn't present as a race. If you're trying to be the first one to get someplace, it's a race game. And it can happen in our next definition of real time. Um, did I skip you again, Kitty? That's okay. You can take the next nope, one. No, go ahead. Um, so real time is players are all playing at the same time, and it usually against some kind of timer. And I like Kitty's example here. I think this was your example. It was. <laughs> which is perfection. So you set that timer and you're trying to put all the pieces in before the timer pops. Now, there's a lot of different real-time games coming out right now. They're not, they don't get crazy popular just because real-time is very taxing and it's kind of hard to manage in a board game sense. But things like Fuse is a real-time dice rolling game. Uh, There's a number of zombie games where you're playing in real-time and you're trying to roll dice and get the right things. And they tend to be a little bit more chaotic. But at the same time, they can be fun. Now, escape room games could also be considered real-time games because usually there's like a 60-minute clock. So you're trying to play against that clock, and those tend to be a little less stressing than your 15-second or 30-second clock. But those are real-time games. All right, Kitty, this Perfection used to scare the hell out of me when I was a kid. I hated <laughs> playing that game. I loved that game. <laughs> I hated it so much. All the time. I remember being be- on vacation and my mom being like, get out of the house and stop playing this game because it, it makes that like tick, 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 noise the whole time then goes like 800 plastic pieces flying everywhere. And yeah. Apparently it was just driving her insane. <laughs> it was really loud every time it would explode. It'd be like, bam! I love I it. hated that. <laughs> <laughs> well, this next one is not at all loud. Rock, paper, scissors. 
This beats that, which beats something else, which in turn beats the first thing. Yep. So you see this uh, described as a as this game has this particular thing. So oftentimes, this will be like faction-type games. This faction's good at beating that faction, which is good at beating that faction, which can beat the original faction. Um, a lot of things get described as, you know, rock, paper, scissors when there's like a clear strategy. Like, well, this faction can never really ever beat that faction. Or even, uh, I guess you could even say these strategies could never beat that strategy. But this strategy, you have to use that to beat that strategy. I like the so lack of concrete examples here. <laughs> well, I mean, rock, paper, scissors is a pretty good example of this. The actual, uh, you know, one, two, three, shoot game. Um, but it can be elevated into a bigger... You see this a lot in war games, actually. So, you know, maybe your infantry are good against uh, tanks, but tanks are good against air, but air is good against infantry or something along those lines. If you want to build in a more complex engine, you can create this circular, this is good against that, but it's not good against everything type of thing. It's good against that, but weak against that type of mechanic. All right. In honor of Fletcher getting all of the terrible things. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This is yours. Roll and move. When you move your piece, when you move, your piece is randomly determined by dice or spinner or card or where you move. So, yeah, this is like Monopoly or Life or just like pretty much anything that has a dice and, I don't know, shoots and ladders, whatever. (laughs) Again, all the games created before 1995. Um, There are are a few modern roll-in moves, though. And some of them are good. Um, Island of El Dorado, I think that's the name, is a roll-and-move game. And, and, I mean, people seem to really like it. Uh, Zaya is a roll-and-move game. The expansion helps mitigate that roll-and-move quite a bit, but it's still a roll-and-move game. You roll the dice to determine how far you can go, and you may have to take multiple turns because your dice just keeps rolling a one, which is super annoying. But, yeah, roll-and-move is not ten, tends not to be a very popular type of thing. As opposed to roll and write, which I'm adding right now. Um, which we're going to go long. <laughs> we're already long. We're only in the um, R's. We only have about eight or nine more. Uh, roll and write very quickly is, these are also flip and writes, um, or any kind of something that happens as a general pool and everyone reacts to it. This can be personal. You can roll and write personally, but most of the modern roll and writes, something happens as a communal pool and everyone reacts to that on their personal pad and writes something different. Um, there is an endless number of examples to this. Um, Ganshan Clever is probably the biggest one right now, um, but there's just you know welcome to um honestly it's this is the hot genre of the season of the last year and a half two years second chance uh railroad inc uh like it just goes on on and on on tour yeah Yeah, there's just so many of them um but yeah just throw that out there as a as an example so roland writes i say you're but you end up with something cool unless you have dry erase then you end up with something cool and you just delete it or erase it. then we have rock and roll (laughs) Which is another roll and write. Um, all right, Kitty, you take this next one. This is another one where I'm going to read a word that you have written here. And Fletcher's going to be like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so, Rondal, you move around a path often used for selecting a limited set of actions. Teotihuacan, City of the Gods. Correct. There you go. Good. 
<laughs> I just typed the first part because I'm like, I'll fill that in later. <laughs> so yeah, this is a, just a, a kind of a subset of action selection where you can only move in one direction. You normally have a limited amount of spaces that you can move. So the t- types of actions available to you change based on where you're at. And by that definition, even Great Western Trail is kind of a rondelle because you keep following that same trail over and over and over. It's you can only move forward. biggest rondelle ever. <laughs> it is a big rondelle, but it's sort of that same concept where you always have to move forward. And once you pass a particular action, you can't go back and do it until you've gone all the way around. I saw a really interesting Kickstarter one time where they it was a fishing game and the reel was the rondelle. Yep. It was yeah, it's kind of a fun. It's a kind of, yeah, it's an interesting way of of being able to select and limit actions. Um, and then uh, the Defenders, I believe it's called, is you make your own rondelle. So you're still going around, but the pie each piece of the rondelle is a pie slice that you can kind of rearrange, and you can enhance actions and stuff. So you can actually modify your personal rondelle as you're going through. Um, Fletcher, this me. one people yeah, actually about, like. I know, it's not a terrible <laughs> example. So Sandbox, freeform map where you can choose where to go. Example, Zaya. Yeah, and there's another one. Um, oh, something Western is a big one right now. These are even something like uh, Tales from Arabian Nights, where you just have an open map and you just kind of choose where you want to go and just start doing stuff. Uh, these games can be pretty fun. They're kind of role play ish, you know, where you have a lot of freedom. Um, oh, we played. What's the um, uh, Fletcher? We played this with Derek. Uh, based on the video game with the vaults oh uh fallout 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 is another sandbox type of game where you just kind of start and you're like all right i guess we just go wherever and you start drawing quest cards and fighting monsters and whatever the case i think okay, this term much more in tabletop rpg than board games but they do exist well and and that's this is another place that they can exist so a sandbox and an and rpg video is, games just, too yep just go wherever you want um, versus something which the kind of the opposite of a sandbox game is a railroad game where, you know, not a railroad game because that's its own genre, but a game on rails <laughs> where you have to do this, 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 and you're doing in this order and you're just trying to ticket to ride. Your path. <laughs> ticket to ride is neither, I don't think, but it is a railroad game. <laughs> no, it, it is a railroad game. <laughs> it is indeed. Um, all right, Kitty, this one is yours. Semi cooperative. Like cooperative, but somebody may be a traitor or other players may have an additional hidden goal to complicate things, like Dead of Winter. These games are hated among board game reviewers, as far as I can tell. They can be really awful. And they're especially awful to learn when the person teaching you is the traitor. And (laughs) it's just, it's not fun. I, don't I, know. I think almost of, all of these games play better as true co-ops than as semi-co-ops. And we've done a you, whole episode on this, too. <laughs> yeah, we have done. And if you're going to play a semi-co-op, you want to make sure that everyone knows what's going on. Um, but I I really like these games. Um, you know, you don't have to play them as a semi-co-op. But I get the, the complaint. The complaint for a semi-co-op game is, if you can't win, <gasps> why would you do anything to let anyone else win? So it becomes anti-cooperative in all ways because you're just going to, you know, sandbag the game. But I have not played with a group that does that. So I think this is more theoretical than practical, at least in my experience. Next one is set collection. So you need, you're basically collecting sets of something. This can be sets of tiles, sets of cards, um, 
you know, oftentimes the more of a particular item in that set, the more points you get. Uh, Sushi Go is my best example. I can come up with a set collection game, but Mahjong. Mahjong is Mahjong. Oh yeah, I guess you're collecting pairs, right? Or or different things, but yeah. Depends on how you're playing. Pairs or like <laughs> or sets like two, three, four, whatever. Yep. So I mean, and set collection, it's. It's relatively easy once you tell someone, it's like, okay, this is what you're trying to do. You just get these. Um, oftentimes, the complications come in how the sets can change. So, you know, Sushi Go is a good example of this. A set of, uh, I don't know, rice balls is different than a set of sashimi or however that goes, right? So it's like, okay, yeah. well, what set do I want to go for? Some of these are easier to collect than others. So, all right, going to the next one. Um Fletcher, you get to read this, and Kitty okay. gets to hate on it. Social deduction. A subset of hidden role games where players attempt to interrogate others to figure out their roles and convince the rest of the group that they are the that they are right. Example, it's werewolf or mafia or whatever. Yep. They're just awful, and no one can play them. <laughs> they, require, they require a particular kind of group, and they are basically tend to be logic-free. And if you are someone who feels that if you have no mechanical way of determining who's lying and who's telling the truth, you're probably not going to like social deduction games. If you're someone who believes that you can actually tell a lot by the way someone accuses or denies things, you will probably like these games, whether or not you're right about that or not. Um, but they really are. They they are just social games. Uh, next one is spelled wrong, I know. <laughs> but this is it's yours, a French Kitty. word. Tableau. Yeah. Tableau. <laughs> once again, there's no definition here. So, in my mind, a tableau, you usually are using cards to build something in front of you that allows you to take actions to do something else in the game. But that's a yeah, terrible that's definition. A, <laughs> it, but it's a valid one. So, it's, it is, you are building up your personal space. Something in front of you is something that you're building up um, with, it can be cards, it can be, oftentimes it's cards, but it could be tiles, it could be anything. Um, Mm -hmm. If what your choices are at the beginning are relatively, you know, slim, and as you play through, limited, um, as you play through, you're building up your options in front of you, and that's building up differently than other people, it doesn't have to be differently, but it often is, then it's a tableau building game. Um, a good example of this, actually, Seventh, Seven Wonders is a example of this, where you're not actually giving yourself more options, but you're giving yourself points as you put these cards into your tableau, which is face up in front of you. Next one are Take That Games. And this is actually should be a Fletcher one. But <laughs> <laughs> um, so Take That. You can directly and negatively affect your opponents. Uh, Arcadia Quest is a good example of a Take That Game. Um, Munchkin. It's almost... Yeah, Munchkin is the quintessential take that game. Another element that a lot of people really, really dislike. It takes the right group of people with a, really a thick skin. Um, my theory is all two-player games are take that games because you're trying to keep your opponent from winning. So that's fine. But once you get to three or more, people start having to take sides. And then as soon as people start taking sides, people's feelings get hurt and it can just lead to... A bad feeling. Also, ripping down stuff that someone else has built up, it's not a good feeling for that person who tried building it up. So that's another reason why Take That Games can be less desirable. Um, 
I don't think they're always bad. I just think that if you know you don't like those kinds of things, you want to know the how much take that is in a game before you jump in and start playing it. All right, Kitty, you get this next one because it's one of your favorites. It is tile placement. You lay tiles to build up the board or optimize a layout to score points, like Carcassonne, the best game. <laughs> um, yeah, we were talking about modular boards earlier. Tile placement are the boards you build up as you play the game, where modular boards are it's, the boards you build before you play the game. Yeah, usually tile placement, it's like building the board is the game. <laughs> yes, yep. You know, Patchwork is a tile placement game. All yep. of the, um, what are they, polyominoes? Um, yep. Yeah, tons of them. Tons of really good, fun games are tile placement games. Yep. Although I don't know if Azul would be considered a tile placement game, even though you are literally placing tiles. It is not a tile placement game. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. It might be tableau building, but I don't think it's that either. No, um, it's set it's collection. Its, it's set collection, actually. Yeah. Azul is set collection. I'm like, I know it's one of these things. Sort of. It's its own thing. It's a good game, though. <laughs> yep. All right. Fletcher, you get the next one. Tug of War. A game where who's in the lead swings back and forth by an extreme amount. And there's no example here. And I don't know of a game that's like this. Besides actual so, Tug of War. <laughs> tug of War is a good example. The one that keeps that goes to my mind is um, Summoner Wars. This is a card game where there's lots of different factions and it's asymmetric. And what happens is on your turn, you can do a whole bunch of things and you get in the lead. And then the other person goes and do a whole bunch of things and they just destroy everything that you just did. And then they're in the lead. And you see this a lot in two-player asymmetric games where things will just swing back and forth because it's one way of balance. It's just making everyone super powerful and you just kind of keep pulling back and forth until finally one person just gets exhausted and lets go of the rope and everyone falls in the This is why I hate the game Mario Party. Very similar in that that nature. What? I have not played it, but is that similar where it's like you're just constantly going back and forth? It seems super random and based on like where it's like a video game of like a board game and depending on where people land, they can like take, you win by having the most stars and people can just like steal like half of your stars all of a sudden and it's like, well, that wasn't great like i was in the lead but now i'm like second to last place yep those would be those are the kinds of tug of war games um all right so this one the next one is worker placement games this combines action selection and action points so your action points are the number of workers and your action selection is where you can place those workers with a twist that workers often block a selection for other players so you can't put a worker where there's already a worker uh lords of Waterdeep, viticulture countless euro games are worker placement games um these are once you understand worker placement games it's really easy to learn new ones but i would say another part of worker placement games is you can almost always get more workers as the game goes on yes so because you are you have this physical element of actions oftentimes you can affect you know where those workers are and what they can do and a cool twist on worker placement games um sort of a subset of these are dice worker placement. So you roll dice and those become your workers and the value on the dice or combinations of dice become your action. Like how how strong that particular action is or what actions you can take. So there's a bunch of things you can do with this. And the last one. And this one's for Kitty. Yahtzee. <laughs> uh, roll and keep with up to two re-rolls, not the part of writing and recording the results. So 
This is where you roll a pool of a number of dice. You choose the ones you want to keep and re-roll the rest. And then you choose the ones you want to keep and then re-roll the rest. And then that's what you got. Yep. Often this involves being able to ch- change your mind. So if you keep something from the first roll, you could actually re-roll it you on your third roll if you out, wanted yeah. to. Yep. Yep. Um, oftentimes this is five dice because Yahtzee is five dice. Uh, it doesn't have to be. But King of Tokyo is the, I think, the most popular game that has used the Yahtzee mechanic and kind of made it its own mechanism. I use mechanic and mechanism in the same sentence there just to make everyone happy or unhappy, depending on how you feel about that. Um, and obviously, Yahtzee is a, an example of this. Yahtzee is a roll and write, but the Yahtzee mechanic does not actually describe that element of Yahtzee. And Yahtzee is a personal roll and write as well. So everybody's watching you play. They don't get to use the dice that you rolled. Yeah. And saying that something is like Yahtzee doesn't necessarily mean that it uses the Yahtzee mechanic. Um, hmm. Role player is not like Yahtzee. It's a lot like Yahtzee. <laughs> All right. On that It's a note. lot like the half of Yahtzee that <laughs> isn't in any way related to the Yahtzee mechanic, which is ridiculous. It, it's a lot like Yahtzee in that it has dice. And you have to place them in the optimal place to score. You don't place the dice in Yahtzee. And you place the For number those... that the dice gives you. You have, it. It makes sense to me. It makes perfect sense. <laughs> For Write in and tell not... Chris that he's wrong. Role player <laughs> is like Yahtzee. For those who have not followed us for three and a half years. Um, like Fletcher, I'm, who seems super confused right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've not played the... I've actually not played Yahtzee or Roleplay. Oh I know, my I was, gosh. I was going to say Yahtzee is the best example of the Yahtzee mechanic, but it's not. I think King of Tokyo is. I think modern generations are more likely to have played King of Tokyo than Yahtzee. Just I a theory I play Yahtzee all the time when I worked at the park district with the kids. Yeah, but you're also pretty old. <laughs> yeah, but like I played with eight-year-olds. <laughs> Because it was my job to play with eight-year-olds. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is a great game to it's play with kids. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so that was our definitions episode. Uh, these are always fun. I And I like, you know, just kind of thinking about what's what. We use these terms all the time. And it's easy and to kind of take them for granted. <laughs> and we still fight about them. Yeah. Um, these are loose definitions. You know, other people may define them in other ways. But we basically get the high level of what we are talking about when we say these things. And this isn't all of them. There's I think there's over 300 different ones on Board Game Geek. So so next Keep week the next 40. For- <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, 40 more next week. Well, we had an email come in that asks um what are our favorite mechanics and what combination would we love to see in a game that would make our favorite games? And I sort of wanted to do a follow-up with this, but I think we're going to have to put that one on hold a little bit longer because um talking about mechanisms and mechanics for two weeks in a row um i can't take that big a hit in the numbers so. <laughs> <laughs> next week we'll talk about something more fun but hopefully this was entertaining and you heard about some new games or you learned some new stuff um and oh wait um i'm gonna uh, we have new credits Okay, I'm ready for that. Okay, so you can follow us on facebook at tabletop game talk podcast twitter's at tabletop game tlk kitty's lawful good mom fletcher's net fletch I am Game Master Chris. You can help us out on Patreon at tabletopgametalk.com slash Patreon. Tabletop Game Talk is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Thanks for listening, and remember, we love your feedback. So email us with comments or questions about today's topic at feedback at tabletopgametalk.com. Finally, Brent is going to read the credits. And I have not listened to this, so hopefully it's rated PG. 
Adam Harrison, the SGC, Jason Strong, Terrence Miltner, Stephen Seitz, Brian Arnold, Sean P. Kelly, C. Marie, Rudy Liu, Benjamin Heimowitz, Jerry Huang, Stephen Phillips, Caleb O'Brien, Jennifer Engelbrecht, Justin Willard, Christopher Dong, Jason Marks, Jeremy Fisher, David Ratke, Nick Quigstra, David Sellers, Jason Rodney, Michael Yanikowski, Miles Clark, Cindy Loom, Phil Swartzel, Ann Reynolds, Eric Huffman, Adrian Dong, Nate, Faz Flintum, Sean Peck, Eric C. Lander, Mike Smith, Trevor Davis, Tim Viernig, Chris Lowe, Joe Hoover, Timothy Gross, Glenn Cotter, Jesse Walkowiak, Emil Jewel Jacobson, Marina Stevens, Brady Meltzer, Gregory Huber, Don Gilstrap, Stephen Judd, Leanne Verholst, Christopher Letko, John Lewis, Joe Rackstad, Ron Nelson, Mill McLaughlin, Sarah Windworth, Weatherman Keefe, Nicholas Lotz, Agnes Toth, Paul Raymer, and Jimothy. And Matthew Droke. Until next week, keep playing games and having fun. All right, so that was only an hour and 15 minutes. We can um, add a few more definitions here if you guys want. No, thank you. Well, let's just do the rest of them. <laughs> <Let's>... <laughs> you two have fun.